As we've walked through this series, I've had a question and I'm going to pose it again because I believe that every one of us has to struggle with this question at some level. And the question is this, who or what gets the best of you? Who or what gets the best of you? And for this particular service and this particular time, I'd like to fill in the blank for you because I believe I can speak for most of us by saying this, that control often gets the best of us. Not the word control freaks, even though some of us are, but the control often gets the best of us. Now, I want to make a disclaimer as we get started, because some of you are already thinking because of my seat and what I have in my hands, that at some point something's going to happen. And I just want to make sure that that we don't even have to think about it. So I just want to tell you at the beginning of the service that at no point tonight, no matter how wonderful or, or, uh, or, 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 or smooth you think it would go at no time, will anyone be singing Jesus take the wheel? I know for some of you, that's a great relief. And for others, it's a great disappointment, but it's not going to happen. So I'm just going to take it off the table right from the beginning. All right. I've been in an interesting transition in my life. I've been having to make the transition from driver to passenger, which has been an interesting deal because over the last 18 months or so, I've just been going through this little transition that's been going back and forth because my son has become a driver. There was a time when I was pretty much the prominent or premier driver in my family. And I enjoyed the power and the control that came from driving. I liked it because if I was driving, I got to pick which vehicle we drove. If I was driving, I got to choose what route we were going to take because nobody else could have any influence over that. If I turned right, we went right. If I turned left, we went left. Everybody in the car, you're just along for the ride, deal with it. I liked being the driver because I got to choose the direction and the speed. If I thought we were going too fast, I would slow down. If I thought we were going too slow, I would speed up. I like the control that comes in this little ankle motion right down here. It's a good thing, especially because I'm Canadian. Um, I liked being in control of the level of anger that would come out of the driver because I was in charge of that as I was driving. I enjoyed adjusting the radio station to what I like to listen to when I'm driving because I believe it is the right and the prerogative of whoever's behind the wheel to choose that musical medium. All right. And then finally, I liked being in control because if the driver's not comfortable, nobody's comfortable. I enjoyed setting the temperature to what it should be when you're on a road trip. I just like the control that came along with being in the driver's seat. And then my kids started driving. And every time we went to the car, he'd go and stand in front of the driver's door. My driver's door. In front of my car. Beside my seat. Holding my keys. And he would always be saying, you know, Dad, Dad, I'll drive. (laughs) No, you won't. (laughs) Yeah, dad, I want to drive. I want to drive. So he started driving and I went into a bit of a meltdown because when you're not driving anymore, you've got to surrender something. And suddenly I've got to surrender my car, my seat, my direction. I'm surrendering the safety of my life to the hands of a 16 year old as I move over here. Oh, I so did not like being over here. I still don't like being over here, especially when the seat comes up on one side when I shift over. I mean, life in the passenger seat is unbelievably difficult. 
I mean, I don't know if you've experienced or not, but 35 miles an hour seems really fast when you're on this side of the car. Just seriously. I mean, the fenders of your vehicle seem a whole lot bigger when you're on this side of the car. It looks like you're going to hit everything. You're going to scrape everything. You're going to bump into everything and just... (laughs) Never did it on that side. I didn't twitch at all, you know? I mean, I don't know if you've noticed it. When you're on this side, everything that person does is wrong. It's just wrong and they need to be corrected in so many instances, right? Amen. There you go. I mean, when you're on this side, you do something you never did on that side. You're like trying to steer from down here. You're trying to stick your foot over top of the console and work those pedals for the person because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, on that side of the car, you have a set of real brakes. On this side of the car, you have a set of imaginary brakes and you're hitting them all the time as you put your feet through the floorboard, right? I'll stop this way, right? It's been an interesting transition. I've noticed that things um, are more rapid on this side of the car. My pulse rate is more rapid on this side of the car. My respiration, my breathing patterns are faster on this side of the car. My perspiration rate is higher on this side of the car. And at some point, if you're a parent, you just have to deal with the fact that you're going to have to surrender it. I've been thinking a lot about spiritual surrender lately. About what it means as a believer to slide fully over into the passenger seat. And hand the wheel to God and how much, how much difficulty it can cause in our lives when we try to, to work ourselves down the middle instead of being fully surrendered. It makes me think of a couple of, of scriptures tonight. Let me just share some of the scriptures that I think really, really talk to us about surrender. If I could have the first one up on the screens, please. Jesus speaking in Luke 9, he says, then he said to, to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Let's take a look at a passage from John chapter 12. If I could have the next screen. It says, I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... And it produces many seeds. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 12. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters in the room, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. These verses all talk about surrender, about why it is that God desperately wants us to understand the need for surrender. Jesus draws a very clear line when it comes to surrender. And let's be honest, surrendering to Jesus is hard because when it comes to being a passenger, we kind of like Jesus in that role, right? We love the comfort and security that comes from knowing that Jesus is in the passenger seat. He's just along for the ride in case I hit a bump, in case I get a flat tire. Jesus, I like you there. You just make yourself comfortable in the passenger seat while I drive. 
We like him as a passenger, but when it comes to complete surrender and actually handing it over, that's another story. It's another story because if Jesus drives, then I'm not in control. If Jesus drives, then I can't set the direction. If Jesus drives, then I don't get to operate my mouth anymore. I've got to operate my mouth his way. If Jesus drives, then then it's not my wallet, it's not my stuff, and I have to do things his way, and I don't like the idea, I like the idea of doing things anyway, but my way. So if Jesus is driving, I'm a little freaked out, because if Jesus is driving, that means it's his life and no longer my life. Christ the King, can we have a moment of complete honesty here? Who's driving your life? Honestly. Who's driving? Are you driving or are you kind of like me? You're the person who likes to sit down the center of the console, straddling that middle thing in the middle with one hand on the wheel and one foot on the gas pedal and, and, and on your way to church singing at the top of your lungs. I surrender all. How many of us are actually willfully sitting on the passenger side and enjoying the freedom, knowing that the God who loves us is setting the direction and the speed and that there's no safer place in the world than being fully in the passenger seat as Jesus drives. Moving to the passenger seat is tough. Maybe it's the toughest thing of all that we ever have to do in our lifetime. So what keeps us from sliding over? What keeps us from from moving to this side over here to this side? I mean, what do we need to know about surrender in this moment so that we actually want to do it? Let's walk through the outline together. Number one is this. Make no mistake, God calls us to surrender control. He calls us. One of the reasons we struggle with the idea of surrender is that we equate surrender with defeat. And those of us who are strong-willed, we automatically respond. I don't surrender to anybody. I don't wave the white flag to anybody or anything because I'm just fine. I'm a winner. I'm a promise. I'm a possibility. I'm a promise with a capital P. I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. Are you kidding me? I mean, with that mindset, we're just offended that God would ask us to surrender. But that's exactly what he does. Luke chapter 9, the verse that I read says this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What's the most important line or word in that verse? It's the word must. This is a non-negotiable. It's not open for negotiation. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I told you Jesus wants the rose this week. Guess what? Jesus wants the keys. He wants the keys and the car and the driver. This one's hard for many of us because we don't understand surrender, which leads us to point number two in your outline, which is this, that surrender is not passive. It's a courageous and active decision. When you surrender to Jesus, you're not taking a weak approach to life. A part of God's design for you is that that you're active, that you make choices, that that you're creative, that you initiate things and you take responsibility for yourself. It's anything but passive. In fact, If you decide to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, you'll be doing exactly the opposite because if you're going to surrender to Jesus, I'm going to tell you what you're going to be working against all of the time. It's called the status quo. 
And it's not for cowards if you're going to stand tall when it comes to leaning back against the status quo. I was at a roundtable discussion with some civic leaders in the past couple of weeks. and They were talking amongst themselves about the amazing benefits they saw to experimenting with sexuality and how beneficial they saw it to be that couples would cohabitate ahead of time because they saw that as an unbelievably great way for this country to reduce the divorce rate. We just need to take it for a test spin ahead of time. And I'm sitting at the table. Jesus, take the wheel. I had a choice. Surrender to Jesus and what he says in his word or just surrender to the silence and sit there and don't do anything. Don't offend anybody. You wouldn't want to speak up for Jesus now, would you? Yes, I did. I did the best I could to share God's amazing plan for love and intimacy and marriage and what order it was put in and how he was very specific about that. And I'm going to tell you something. It was not fun and it was not comfortable and I don't believe there was anything cowardly about it. Because suddenly, I'm not sure how welcome I was at the table. There's nothing cowardly about being a living sacrifice. There's nothing cowardly about crawling up on the altar over and over again. There's nothing cowardly about surrendering yourself fully and completely and allowing God to set the direction and the speed and the trip. Laurel and I have got two Yorkie dogs. I, I know. I lose all of my man points every time I say it in church, but it's true, okay? And I don't have to do it often, but I, I've had to bath those two dogs on occasion. I don't have to do it now because I have children and that's good, okay? So, but I mean, all I'm doing is trying to take a small ball of fluff, a rat with fur. I'm trying to simply put it in the water, which is not that deep. It's, it's just nice and warm and I'm trying to clean them. I'm trying to clean them and the response that I get from the little animal is kind of like trying to hold on to a tornado. It's like... I mean, it's amazing how much strength that little thing can have as you're trying to put it in the water. And all I'm trying to do is clean them. Imagine what I was, what would happen if I was trying to sacrifice them, which I wouldn't. <laughs> Don't write me a letter. I love my dogs. Right? But aren't we kind of like that? Jesus says, I want you to surrender. I can't. This is about me. It's my life. It's my stuff, my car, my wallet, my wife, my friends, my countrymen, my car, my everything. It's mine. I can't give it over to you. (laughs) Because that would mean I'm not in control anymore. I mean, don't we find ourselves trying to crawl away sometimes? I mean, surrendering means we welcome God's cleaning. Surrendering means we give our lives away to his complete and total control. No matter where he's trying to put us, we choose to believe that his direction is perfect. What else do we need to know about surrender? Well, I know this one from experience. We need to know surrender doesn't happen once and then it's done. In fact, it's just the opposite. Here's number three in your outline. Surrender needs to happen daily. Luke 9.23 says, what does, or it says this scripture, he must deny himself daily, 
take up his cross and follow me. What's the key word there? In the first verse, it was must. In the second verse, it's daily. I've got to surrender my will daily. I've got to surrender my attitude daily. I have to surrender my mouth daily. I mean, I've made no bones about it here, Christ the King, that one of the deep, ugly parts of me is that I'm addicted to pleasing people. My life is perfect when everybody loves me. My life is a mess when just one person doesn't. And I'll tell you what, I've had to learn to drag that part of me up onto the altar and sacrifice it every single day over and over and over again until I am absolutely convinced that pleasing God is more important than pleasing anybody. I've made no bones about it here at Christ the King. Years ago, I struggled desperately with, with lying. And I stood up here in, at an Easter service with the sign that said liar in front of everybody. Every day, I got to drag that lying rebel in me and sacrifice him on the altar of truth so that everything I say brings honor and glory to God. My friends, if we're going to talk like a family, let's talk like a family. Here in Bellingham, at Ferndale, let's just lay it out. What needs to die in you? Not, not what do you need to put a band-aid on. What needs to die inside of your soul so that you can fully surrender and not live on this side of the seat but on this side where Jesus says we need to be. This next one's tough. What else do we need to know about surrender? Number four is this, that you can't will yourself to victory. You have to surrender your will. John 12, that beautiful little verse says, unless something falls into the ground and dies. That's a scary word for all of us because None of us likes the thought of having to die to ourselves because we're just naturally wired that way. If you've ever had the courage to do 12 steps of spiritual journey, you're going to recognize what I'm going to talk about in the next couple of moments because it's taken directly from 12 steps of spiritual journey. It's the first three steps that we take people through. Step number one is this, that we admitted we were powerless over the effects of our separation from, from God and that our lives had become unmanageable. If you need a biblical reference for that, try Romans 7, 18. But we've just had to admit that somehow we're just out of control, that we're not in control. The second step says we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. If you need a verse for that one, Philippians 2.13. But it means we've actually come to a point where we don't believe we can fix ourselves anymore. And so we've actually named our higher power, our greater power. And we've said the only person who can fix us is Jesus. And then we get to step number three. It says we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. That comes from that Romans 12 passage that we just read. That we made a decision to hand it all over. You know what happens at the end of, uh, end of step three and why it's so hard for people to get to step four? It's because they have to surrender there. That's what step three says we have to do. We have to completely and totally surrender. And if you work with people who understand recovery and, you, and, and you've actually walked with them through it, you'll notice some things that never get said. Nobody ever comes to a recovery group and says, okay, guys, now, we're just going to try really, really hard not to give in this week. We're just going to manage the sin as best we can. We're just going to try really, really hard not to give in. You're never going to hear a recovery leader say, you know what you need to do? You need to work harder. 
You need to work harder at this. You just need to lock in and, and just get this thing, wrestle it to the ground all by yourself. That's what you need to do. I mean, those of you that are 12-steppers, you're going, yeah. In fact, in recovery circles, they'll try, they will actually say to you that if you try to overcome your problem in your own strength, that it's absolutely going to beat you because that's not the way you beat it. If you surrender your will, then and only then is another life possible. The power is in the surrender of your will and your life. It's not in your ability to do good sin management. There comes a moment for all of us when we have to decide whether or not we're going to lay it all down or not. Here's the fifth little truth as we walk through this together. What else do we need to know about surrender? It's this. On the other side of surrender is freedom and life. There's a whole different level of freedom when you surrender the wheel of your life. All of a sudden, because you're not seeking control in everything, because you're not the one who's ultimately responsible all the way through, suddenly, when you're not all wrapped up in keeping control of everything, you find that you can give yourself away to something. You can give yourself away to worship. You can give yourself away to a normal conversation with God. You can give yourself away to being, to being guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. When you're over here on this side and you've surrendered yourself completely, suddenly you have the freedom to look around. Things just don't go sailing past you. Opportunities don't get missed. And you don't have to waste all of the emotional energy that comes from having to be in control. Now, once again, please hear what I'm saying. I'm not talking about just being along for the ride. No, I'm talking about actively participating in God's direction for your life. Only you're not the one deciding the direction. You're giving in to His goodwill. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. That's what Scripture says it is. You get to participate in God's direction of your life. You get to participate in a full life that's described in John chapter 10, verse 10, that says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I mean, I understood this as I was getting ready for this week. The message of surrender is not what people want to hear these days. We love hearing messages about how God loves us and gives us grace and mercy and forgiveness. We love that. We love hearing about God's grace and what he did on the cross. But when it comes to a message about what he is asking in return, then we're like, whoa. That would mean I'd have to surrender. And I'm not sure I'm down with that part of it yet. I can't speak for everybody here, but I didn't want to hear this message this past week. So here's a message I probably don't want to hear, but desperately need to hear. I'm the most deceived human being I know. I'm incredibly self-absorbed and self-centered. I love having Jesus along for the ride, but what I need more than anything is to bend my knee submit my heart, confess my sin, and surrender my life fully to God. That's not what I like hearing, but that's what I need to hear. Surrender is the simple acknowledgement that God is God and I'm not Him. 
surrenders the simple acknowledgement that his ways are better than my ways, that his plans are better than my plans, that his provision is better than my provision, and that ultimately his outcome is better than the outcome I can plan. I hope we all understand Jesus doesn't want to manage our life from the outside in. He wants to transform our lives from the inside out. So the call in this service is to complete and utter surrender. It is not popular. It's godly. So we really have three options. I mean, if we're going to follow the little illustration all the way through, we really have three options, right? Option number one, I am taking the wheel. You can't have the wheel. Nobody gets to touch the wheel. It's my wheel. There's an imaginary line right down the middle of this life vehicle that I'm riding. Keep your hands off. This is mine. And this is the place, as much as we'd like to rename it, with words like individuality or independence, this place has only one label. This is the place where the rebellious heart lives. This is the place where we say, I think I'm smarter than God. I think I'm stronger than God. I think I can manage this whole thing better than God. And so I'm just going to stay right here. Christ the King, can I ask a question? If you would admit to being in this place, how's that working for you? But I've got my wheel. And I've got my direction. And I'm right. Where are you today? And where will you be in 10 years? Option two. Can I get the next slide so I know what option two is? Thanks. Option two is when we grab the wheel. This is where all of us religious folks who grew up in church, we've become experts at doing this. Because this is where we live with a divided heart. This is where we steer under the table and pretend that Jesus doesn't notice. This is where we take our foot and slowly put it on the other side and start working the pedals over here, but God doesn't see nothing. I'm good. I'm just hanging right out here in the center. The center of anything in the Christian life is just like a fence. And if you're on one, I want you to understand very, very clearly. The fence in the middle of anything belongs to the devil himself. Can I get an amen from somebody? One more place. You can surrender the wheel. And that means you live with a surrendered heart. And life over here is actually pretty amazing. A little scary at times. Because stuff's going by really fast. But over here, because you're not having to concentrate on all of the direction part of it, you can actually enjoy this ride and this conversation. Knowing that you're in good hands and I'm not talking about all state.
It takes a lot of courage to move over here. I tend to fluctuate between here and here. And every once in a while, I do a flying grab for the wheel. This is a place of total surrender. This is the only place you can be obedient to Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 9, and John 12. Because here, you're not in control. But God is. If you know the truth of Scripture as a believer and you've never been baptized, you're over here whether you want to admit it or not. Well, I'd just be too embarrassed. I wouldn't want to get my hair wet. I know Jesus died on a cross and that whole thing, but I just would never want to put myself in a position where I didn't look really, really good. We don't like to call this rebellion. We like to call it, um, I'm thinking about it. Over here means you thought about it. And you were obedient because you're surrendered. Wet hair and all. Well, I don't know if I want to give over complete control because if I, if I give over complete control, God might send me to Cleveland. Wherever God sends you, it's the safest place you could ever be. But I've got just one or two things that I really, really, really need to fix before I just dive in completely with this God thing. I can't fix anything. But He can so wherever he needs to take me to make me fully surrendered, that's where I'm willing to go. So Christ the King, who's driving? Let's pray.